Not long ago, I said from this pulpit that I've never been one to ascribe what I see in our culture to demons or demonic activity. I've really never been, been one to say that. But so much strangeness and evil is going on in our world today that there was no other way to describe what I saw going on but demonic activity. I think I was ascribing that particularly to, uh, to how strident people are about the abortion issue and, and killing babies. I have no idea why that is so important to some people. Well, to go along with that, I've also been not one to rail against the obvious blasphemy that is routine in our now coarse everyday dialogue. It's so commonplace. I mean, if I was to point out instances of impiety and blasphemy, I I could go on forever. But now, honestly, I have to use the word blasphemy against something that I have enjoyed my entire life. Baseball. Baseball and blasphemy. I mean, my first word is a baby. Okay? Honestly, this is, this is... My first word was Bilko. Steve Bilko was a minor league baseball player, Pacific Coast League. I was one year old. He was on the radio or on the early TV sets. And I love Steve Bilko. Los Angeles Angels, by the way, were a minor league team before they were a major league team. My grandfather was a baseball player of note. He had been offered a tryout with the New York Yankees in the late 19-teens. His father would not let him accept the tryout because a young Christian gentleman did not associate with that sort of people. So my grandfather gave up a tryout with New York Yankees. New York Yankees, my grandfather was a slugger, a home run hitting star of Occidental College. And uh, when they didn't get my grandfather, uh, they had to sign some guy named Babe Ruth instead. Uh, that's my story. Uh, you can disbelieve this at your, at your leisure. But uh, one of my earliest memories is, as a three-year-old, a bat boy for the junior baseball league team that my grandfather started, called the Yankees, imagine that. He and I would play chess summer evenings listening to Vin Scully on the radio. My birthdays were celebrated going to Dodger Stadium with my friends, my grandfather and my father. I picked out double headers when I could because that's the way I went. I'm, I'm the kid who fell asleep with a transistor radio under his pillow at nights to listen to the Dodger games. The same transistor radio over the bars of my Stingray bike on my way to baseball practice. I played organized baseball up through high school, and I played with a guy who had 18 years in with the Boston Red Sox, will be a Hall of Famer one day. So trust me when I say what is happening in baseball is, is hard for me. 
I take a backseat to no one in my love of baseball. And that said, in all probability, I will listen to my last game June 15th of next month. Because the next day on June 16th, the Dodgers are hosting a pride event. Now, this is not why. You've got to do a lot to get me away from baseball. Pride event by itself is fine. But they're inviting a group called the Sisters of Perpetual... Hold on. Indulgence. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. It's an anti-Catholic group. And still, that's not enough. But it's what they do in their act. And I really won't go into it. But they blasphemy. You can't blasphemy against a church. Uh, just an organization. You can't blasphemy against me personally. It's got to be against God. And that is what this group does. And originally, the Dodgers, when they found out about this, canceled the group. And then all the other gray pot, uh, gay pride groups said, well, then we're not coming either. And the Dodgers gave in. And, you know, when someone spits on you and all you believe in, when they tell you they'd hate you by their actions, you'd be foolish not to believe them. And so I'm going to choose to believe the Dodgers when they tell me this. Now, we've been looking at Paul and Barnabas. And you're going to wonder where that segue came from. But we've been looking at Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey and studying Paul's sermon in the synagogue in Sidian Antioch. We finished up last week with verses 42 and 43. Paul had concluded his sermon, and then it says, And as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them, to continue in the grace of God. And today we'll pick up with those two verses and then we'll conclude our study in the 13th chapter of Acts uh, with the uh, next nine verses, 44 through 52. And those read as such, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul reviling him. Uh, and in many other verses, translation, it says blaspheming him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles, for the Lord has commanded us saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against 
uh, against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. As we saw last week, when the Sabbath service in the synagogue was finished, verse 5 says that many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas as they walked down the streets of city in Antioch. But according to the rest of the verse, some and possibly all of those Jews and converts were no longer Jews, but they had believed and professed in the name of Jesus Christ. You can tell this by the phrase that he urged them to continue in the grace of God. So they had believed in Jesus. They were now leaving the synagogue and they were urging them to continue in the grace of God. These people had professed faith, uh, confessed Jesus as Lord, and Paul and Barnabas so saw them. So some converts have been made. And Jew and Gentile both were excited to see what would be said and what would happen at the Sabbath of the next week. So verse 44 says, The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Um, The word indeed spread about what uh, Paul and Barnabas were uh, preaching. And it says, almost the whole city showed up to hear Paul. Now, This is a colloquialism that is common. It says that when Jesus was preaching, all the world was coming to see him. So, when it says that all of city in Antioch, almost all the city city, uh, city in Antioch came to the service, city in Antioch had been an important city for hundreds of years by the time of this visit by Paul and Barnabas. There were 100,000 people in the city and outlying villages, the immediate area, 100,000 people. We can assume that 100,000 people did not show up. But we can also assume that the local synagogue would not hold them. It was probable that uh, they all congregated on the Tiberia Plataea, a large central plaza that hosted the local merchants. Now, um, These are still common the world over. The last time I was in Mexico, which has been a long time, I visited the uh, Mercado in uh, Guadalajara. Huge place. You could fit a few thousand people in there easily. This is what we're looking at. We're looking at a central plaza surrounded by shops, surrounded by uh, merchants. It's the, it's the, the, not industrial, it is the, pardon me, commercial, thank you, center of city in Antioch, and this is where they would have gathered to hear Paul that next Sabbath. Now, however many actually came, um, it says, but when the Jews saw the crowds, so there were enough, there's crowds. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And like I say, um, that word is actually, uh, in every other translation in the ESV, a blaspheming. And I know why ESV didn't use the term blaspheming, because it says they were blaspheming Paul. But step back and look at this. 
they were blaspheming what Paul was saying about Jesus Christ. And in that way, they were denying Jesus' divinity, his Messiahship, and his Godhead. So, blaspheming is the correct word for this here. Though it was common for Gentiles, God-fearers, to be found in the synagogue, and although city in Antioch had a large Jewish population we've read before, Gentiles greatly outnumbered Jews in the plaza this Sabbath morning. It was mainly Gentiles with Jews sprinkled in. To see this outpouring of interest of this city, this Roman city, these Greek-speaking people, to see the interest in these visiting missionaries speaking of the rejected Jewish Messiah filled not just the uh, Jewish leaders, but most of the ordinary Jews with jealousy. And it wasn't just that these Jews argued with and contradict what Paul said, but in the words of most translators, like I said, including the King James Version, it says, and the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes... They were filled with envy and spoke against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. And another reason that I don't think that Paul considered that they were blaspheming against him, he was a skilled debater. He was used to the give and take of argumentation. They could say whatever they want in these arguments, uh, in these debates about what Paul had to say, but it was the second action that set Paul off, the blaspheming. Paul himself could not be blasphemed. Only God can be blasphemed. What the Jews were doing in front of the Gentile world was contradicting what Paul had to say about the nature of Jesus, who exactly Jesus was, and blaspheming Jesus and God in the process. And that brings us to verse 46. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Now, as those who God had entrusted with his law, as I pointed out in the previous weeks, Paul was giving the Jews of city Antioch the honor of first accepting the Messiah, and then the task of converting their neighbors, the ones they lived with in town, the Gentiles. Paul says the Jews had rejected his words, thrust them aside, just as they had pushed aside God's word in Messianic prophecies. They had disregarded those prophecies. They were entrusted with not just God's law, but to recognize the coming of the Messiah. And they had missed it entirely. They have also judged themselves not to be worthy of eternal life. Note that this is not Paul judging them. Okay, Paul is not judging the Jews, the city in Antioch. They have judged themselves by the rejection of Jesus. Paul... Um, 
Well, just, just as in Cyprus, when Paul was preaching in Cyprus with Sergius Paulus, he went to the Jews first there also, but it was Sergius Paulus who came to see him. Sergius Paulus, a Roman consul of the area, searched him out to see what he was teaching and converted and became a Christian when the Jews of the area did not. We will see that Paul never gives up on bridging, uh, on bringing the gospel to the Jews, even as his ministry begins more widely focusing on the Gentiles later on in Acts. Verse 47 says, For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, and Paul is, uh, quotes here then uh, Isaiah 49.6, I have made you a light for the Gentiles. This is what the Jews were to be. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now you remember our uh, friend Simeon in the temple when Jesus was brought to be consecrated? Holds him in his arm. Simeon was the man, I believe, to be the son of the uh, great Rabbi Hillel, the greatest rabbi in Jewish history. Father of Gamaliel that that Paul was mentored by and sat at the foot of learning the law. Here's the words that Simeon says as he holds the infant Jesus that day, Luke 2, 29 through 32. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simon quotes Isaiah 49.6 here, just as Paul had quoted it earlier. Simeon has quoted it to say that Jesus is that light that Israel was to be. And now the light has come into the world. And we see when Paul quotes it, Paul and Christianity are picking up the mantle of being light to the Gentiles. So first it's the country of Israel that was to be a light. Jesus came out of the country of Israel as that light incarnate. And now the the apostles, the disciples, and Christians are the light to the Gentiles from here on out. Verse 48 says, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. While the majority of the Jews in city and Antioch rejected Paul's message, many of the Gentiles rejoiced at the preaching. John MacArthur points out that this is one of the clearest passages in scriptures about the election of God. That man is chosen by God to be a believer. Uh, he says it's right up there with John 6.65. No one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. And Thessalonians 2.13 from Paul We should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. 
God has chosen to save Gentiles from before the foundations of the earth had been laid, and the Gentiles rejoiced. Verse 49 says, And the word of the Lord was spreading through the whole region. The result of Paul's preaching is that the Gentiles who heard the word of the Lord became a body of believers, and a church would be established that Paul would visit twice more on his missionary journeys. And um, though the church in Antioch in Syria, that from which Paul and Barnabas had left, uh, was a large church and a number of Greek-speaking peoples with a number of Gentile members, this church and city in Antioch comprised entirely of Gentiles, of Greek-speaking Gentiles. The Jews rejected Paul's message in city in Antioch. The church that is to be established there for the next... I didn't look it up to see how long it was there. It might still be there. But it would be the first Gentile church. The Jewish leaders had thoroughly cowed all the Jews of the area to shun the Christian message. But the Jewish leaders didn't just stop there. Verse 50 says, But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. Uh, Contemporary sources say say that as much as 80% of God-fearers were women. Women generally take a spiritual role in a society. And these God-fearing women, who were Gentile, but who had heard the Jewish message and uh, gravitated towards the synagogue, probably made up about 80% of all the God-fearers there. And they were the wealthy women of the city, the women of high standing. And so the Jewish leaders stirred up divisions among these women against Paul and Barnabas. And these women went to their husbands, who were the leading men of the city. So the women of high standing are obviously married to the uh, leading men of the city. And these leading men in the cities, in turn, convinced the Roman authorities that this new movement called Christianity was not of the Jewish religion, and thus not legitimate in the eyes of the Romans. Remember, the Romans would worship, they encouraged worship. The more gods you worshipped, the better. They were really into multiple god worship. The god of the Jewish Bible was just another one to them, as long as you didn't insist that he was the only god, which is what the Christians, of course, did. The only god was the God Jehovah, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the three in one. And this was unacceptable to the Romans. And because it was presented to them in this way, Paul and Barnabas are driven out of the city. The Jews instigated this as much against the outreach to the Gentiles, meaning bringing the Gentiles into this religion, irritated them as much as saying that Jesus was the Messiah and the prophecies were fulfilled and that the Jews had missed him. 
It was a 50-50 proposition. First of all, they didn't want the uh, Gentiles in the church, and they didn't want the outreach going to the Gentiles. Luke shows throughout the book of Acts that it was invariably Jewish opposition to Christianity that forced the Romans to react negatively against Paul, Barnabas, and Christianity. And so, their teaching and ministry in city and Antioch was over, but there was still one last lesson for them to deliver. There was one parting lesson. Verse 51 through 52 says, But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. You will remember that when Jesus sent his 70 followers out on a teaching mission, that he gave these instructions in Matthew 10, 5 through 15. It says, These 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep, of the house of Israel. And remember, this is what Paul is doing. He's going to the, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel first and not turning to the Gentiles and the Samaritans until they're rejected. And Jesus says, And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he said to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying give without pay, acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, meaning don't seek money from those you're you're blessing, those you're teaching. Do not take money from them. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it, and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on that day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. If they were not received in a town, they were to go to stop after passing through the city gates and shake the dust off their feet. And you might think that that is just a... That sounds a little petty, doesn't it? You know, ah. But it was not just some fit of pique. Every city had watchers at the gate. Uh, Some were official watchers to make sure that no one who meant them harm was entering. Others, the most popular place for beggars to be was at the entrance to a city to receive alms. People saw what goes on at the city gate. And they saw Paul and Barnabas leave and symbolically shake the dust off their feet And to them watching, it was a known judgment that they were found wanting in the eyes of Jesus' disciples as Paul and Barnabas left, shaking the dust off. The very kingdom of God 
had passed them by. And because of these watchers, this message, this lesson, would spread throughout the countryside. Someday soon, I'm guessing I'm going to have to make one last trip to Chavez Ravine, a place that holds so many memories, birthdays spent with my father and grandfather. I'm afraid on my way out, I'll have to stop and symbolically shake the dust off my shoes, out of my clothes. You know, I love sports. I come from a sports family. But a while back, I gave up watching any basketball because of the Black Lives Matters movement. When the NFL started kneeling for the national anthem, I said, I really don't need this. This is, this is something I don't need in my life. But so much worse is the blasphemy that the Dodgers baseball administration is inviting into their stadium. That they are saying to me that they no longer want me. You know, when, when somebody tells you that, you really have to take that at face value. There are minor disagreements. The, the basketball league and the football league are minor disagreements compared to what? Supporting the blasphemy that the Dodgers are going to indulge in by having this group be honored in their stadium. Indeed, in the words of the Apostle Paul, and it's the only best way I can put it, both this group and the Dodgers have judged themselves unworthy of eternal life. And that is such a sad thing for me. And it's a sad thing for me to see how our entire civilization is responding to these challenges because they are going the same way. I mean, we worry about judgment, God's judgment on this country all the time. We're busy showing that this country is not worthy of eternal life also. Sad thing. Let's close in prayer.